Today on Ag News Daily. We think about our mission as being to harness nature to help farmers sustainably feed the planet. And there's three primary pillars to that. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Mike Pearson, co-host of the Ag News Daily Podcast, joined today by Hannah Pagel. Hannah, how are you doing today? I am doing great, Mike. You know, it's a beautiful day outside. The weather is, we couldn't have asked for some better weather. I feel like the humidity is very low, so I'm doing wonderful. That is excellent. Yes, all the way around, it is a good day. It's good grain-filling weather, so I'm out there looking at the corn, and i got to say, things look pretty good, at least in my part of east-central Iowa. Well, that's good news. Things are looking pretty good up here in northeast Iowa, and our sweet corn is ready for harvest, so I'm very excited about that. Ooh, that is something to look forward to. That is a, a little bit of heaven on the cob. It really is. Well, Hannah, we need to jump into the news because we have a lot going on today with our Tech Tuesday interview. But before we do, let's hear a word from our Tech Tuesday sponsor. Hashtag Tech Tuesday is brought to us by our partners up at Harvest Profit. On the phone with me now is Nick Horb, CEO of Harvest Profit. And Nick, what projects are you guys working on up there in the office? Hey, Mike. You know, part of our software service is... Uh, continually rolling out their new features, updates, and improvements. And so we had an issue in the software where it just, you know, as I was using it myself, it just wasn't as easy to use as it, it probably should be. So the new features, new tools, those are kind of the sexy things that everybody looks forward to. But we're blocking and tackling, taking some time to go back, clean up, some of our current features, making them as easy to use as possible. And specifically, farming is a unique business where each year is a crop year. And so as we're transitioning from doing our 2018 numbers to starting to work on 2019, and we've added some features just to to make that year-to-year process a lot easier. And so, you know, while it's fun to work on the the new shiny toys, it's also uh, part of our promise to our users to keep improving uh, the features that we have. And so if anybody wants to take the software for a spin, they can visit harvestprofit.com backslash free trial and see if it's a fit for their operation. Harvestprofit.com backslash free trial. Constant refinement there at Harvest Profit. Nick, thanks for taking the time today. All right. Well, Hannah Pagel, what is jumping out at you for news today? So the first story I have for you, Mike, is Mexico reportedly wants to reach a NAFTA agreement by the end of August, and that is with or without Canada. So Bloomberg reported that a modernized NAFTA agreement would allow Mexico's new president to focus on other priorities when he takes office. And so NAFTA talks are set to resume last or this week, excuse me. And they're looking at having a meeting, I believe, on Thursday. Um, Trump says that he will still consider bilateral agreements with Canada and Mexico instead of the the original trilateral NAFTA agreement, but it looks like Thursday is the day to be watching for NAFTA. All right. Well, we'll keep an eye on it. It would be nice to see some progress there. The market could use some positive news on the trade front, I think. I think you're right. But uh, what else is jumping out for you in the world of ag news? 
Well, you know, it ties right into the, the trade front here. President Trump is expected today to make an announcement about assistance for American farmers who have been hit by the trade war. And he hasn't said anything yet. We're recording this at just about 1.30 here on Tuesday, and Trump hasn't made any comments yet. But it is expected that he is going to offer about $12 billion worth of assistance, probably utilizing the uh, two commodity support programs that exist, and we don't really know exactly what they're going to look like. But this idea has really gotten under the skin of some Republicans as well as some Democrats. And Ben Sass, the senator from Nebraska, Republican, said, quote, this trade war is cutting the legs out from under farmers and the White House's plan, in quotes, is to spend $12 billion on gold crutches. And the Democrats' representative from California, Jackie Spears, said, POTUS, you created this mess with your trade war, and now you're going to spend $12 billion to placate the farmers that voted for you. Not a lot of positive feedback with regard to this assistance package. And we'll just have to wait and see exactly what it looks like and how this $12 billion is going to be distributed, Anna. We are going to have to. I believe Trump is going to be announcing it around 4 p.m. Central Time in Kansas City, it looks like. That is where he is headed to to announce that release. Perfect. Well, we'll update it on our Twitter as soon as we get some more information. We most certainly will do that. So I have a story that it caught my attention, and it's kind of a chilling story because it kind of throws it all the way back to World War II and Hitler a little bit, but... A European politician, Gottfried Waldhaus, I believe that is how you pronounce his name, he serves as a local minister in the state of Lower Austria, and he is listed as the minister in charge of animal welfare. But he is trying to put in place a rule to, quote-unquote, minimize animal suffering. But here's the thing, Mike. His proposal has nothing to do with animals, or essentially it really doesn't. But so What's he saying? So the Lower Austria area, it has a significant farming and livestock operation, and that surrounds the national capital of Vienna, and which is where most Austrian Jews reside. And it was reported by the New York Post that Waldhaus wants to create a national registry of Jewish people in that area and make it so that only Jewish citizens would be permitted to buy kosher meat. And his idea behind this is to reduce the number of animals slaughtered each year. But Hmm. that does not make any sense in my head because essentially you're just singling out a specific cohort of the population, which directly goes back to World War II. Um, Yeah. Yeah, I've got a feeling that, boy, if I were a Jewish person in Austria, the sound of a German demanding me to register, boy, that would raise some icky feelings, I would think. I I would agree. It says his comments were that Austrian Jews would only be allowed to buy kosher meat if they are officially registered and granted special permits. And even beyond that, he suggests that only registered Jews um, who actually live in Lower Austria should be allowed to obtain kosher meat. So, and he's hoping this will curb the exports. I, I don't know, but weird, weird. You know, we've got a lot of problems in America, but I tell you what, hearing stories like this make me uh, awful proud to be an American. I would definitely agree with you there. 
Speaking of America, specifically the heartland, we had a news update from the Kansas City Federal Reserve. They announced that in the second quarter of 2018, which ended at the end of June, we saw ag sector lending increase slightly. And the folks there, the economists at the Fed, thought it was because higher livestock prices have driven up the size of livestock loans. And that altogether is what grew ag lending in uh, in the second quarter. So this has been uh, two quarters in a row now, six months that we've seen ag lending continue to increase as farmers, you know, try to figure out ways to mitigate their risk and stay in business. Okay. Well, that's, that's pretty good news, right? Yeah, you know, it, it, it could be. Could be. Depends on what they're doing with that money and how well it's utilized and, you know. There's a whole lot of factors that go into that, but I would assume most ag lenders are pretty good at assessing risk, and if they're loaning out money, they probably are pretty confident in their borrowers. Well, that's good, and it also kind of shows that there are producers out there who are looking at trying to expand and take on risk. So, Absolutely. Great point. Folks are still planning for the future, you know, whatever happens with prices. Mm-hmm. Well, Mike, the last story that I have for you today is it's some pretty good news for cattle producers. So yesterday, the first vaccine to help prevent and reduce mastitis that is caused by Klebsia phenomia, I believe, these scientific words, I tell you what, they are just yeah, yeah. very complex. You just guess, and I'm not going <laughs> to say you're wrong because I don't know anymore either. <laughs> well, apparently a new vaccine has just rolled out on the market yesterday. And so this was in a field study by Iowa State University, and they found that with this vaccine, they had a 71% reduction in infection within 90 days after calving versus the placebo group. And then they also found a 42% reduction in somatic cell count and a two-pound increase in milk production per cow per day by using this vaccine against mastitis. So... Apparently, this vaccine, it works by activating the animal's immune system to produce antibodies that bind and block the transfer of iron, um, iron, sorry, through bacterial cell wall um, porins. And then essentially, it kind of, this, this bacteria that creates the mastitis, it, it needs iron for, for growth and survival. So it, the vaccine essentially deprives the bacteria of nutrients. So that's pretty good news. Uh, limit those mastitis cases in cattle. Absolutely. It's a heck of a problem in dairy. And, you know, I'm sure everybody who raises cows has had a, had a mama get mastitis once or twice. And anything we can do to alleviate animal suffering, which is what that does, is a great thing for the industry of agriculture. Well, Hannah, what do you think? Before we get to our Tech Tuesday interview with Indigo Ag, should we discuss the farm markets? Let's get into that, Mike. Where are we at today? Well, I will tell you, but first, we've got to thank the folks who bring us the farm markets every single day. That is our partners up at Zaner, the Zaner Group in Chicago. Give them a shout. Put a marketing plan in place. You can reach them by phone at 312-277-0050, or you can visit them on the web at Zaner, Z-A-N-E-R.com. 
and tell them you heard it on Ag News Daily. Well, we've got mixed trade today in the grains with the corn market. September contract down five cents at three fifty-two and a quarter. December also down by five to close at three sixty-six and a quarter. Soybeans were the big winner on the day with the August contract up ten and three quarter cents to finish at eight fifty-eight and a half. November new crop also up ten and three quarters to finish at eight seventy-four and a quarter. Folks, those are two and a half month highs in the soybean market. In Chicago wheat, the September contract was down three cents at five ten and three quarters. The December down two and a half to finish at five twenty nine and three quarters. Looking over on the livestock side, we've got red ink all the way down the screen today. In live cattle, the August contract down sixty seven and a half cents at one hundred eight oh five. The October down twenty seven fifty to finish at one ten thirty two and a half. In feeder cattle, the August contract down fifty cents even closed the day at one fifty two seventy five. September down eighty cents finished at one fifty three fifty two fifty. And in lean hogs, the August contract down eighty seven and a half cents closed at sixty five fifty five. October down 10 cents, closed the day at 52.52.50. Quick look over at the dairy market in Class 3 milk. The July contract was up a penny at 14.20, while August was up 24 cents on the day to close at 14.88. Before we jump into that conversation with Indigo Ag, let's hear a word from our friends at Latham High Tech Seeds. With us again this week is Phil Long, the agronomic specialist at Latham High Tech Seeds. And Latham has folks with boots on the ground throughout the growing season, keeping track of what's going on in the crops and in the fields. And Phil, you've been out. What have you seen? What's jumping out at you this year? Yeah, it seems like there's not a lot of things overtaking crops yet, but we're right at that point where it's getting to the point, you know, we want to be considered a fungicide if that's the case. And one, one disease that's been jumping out, it's a really distinctive one. For those that have seen it, it's called Physoderma brown spot. Uh, it shows up as a kind of a purple or kind of chocolate-colored brown spots right in the midriff of the leaf and even can show up on the stalk of the plant, uh, on the corn plant. So it's, it's a very diagnostic disease, uh, a fungal disease that can be treated with a, with a fungicide around our one time period. You just got to check and make sure that those labels are, are labeled for Physoderma brown spot. Make sure that you're you're diagnosing the disease correctly. It can be misdiagnosed. Uh, southern rust as well as eye spot can kind of look similar in terms of, of leaf symptoms. Um, but 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 a fungicide and some good rotation and even maybe some tillage might be necessary to help help with control. All right, folks, keep all that in mind. And always remember, Latham High Tech Seeds has expertise across the Midwest. And to put that to work on your farm, give them a shout at 877-GO-LATHAM or visit the website at LathamSeeds.com. All right, ladies and gentlemen, today we are speaking with Jeffrey Von Maltzen. He is the co-founder of Indigo Egg. So first off, Jeffrey, thank you so much for taking time to speak with us today. Well, thank you. I really appreciate your interest and look forward to the conversation. Now, Jeffrey, why don't we just kick it right off the bat? How about you just give us the big picture of what Indigo Egg is all about? I'll start with Indigo's mission. Uh, We think about our mission as being to harness nature to help farmers sustainably feed the planet. And there's three primary pillars to that. The first and foremost is improving farmer profitability. Second and third are improving the sustainability of agriculture and improving the the consumer health benefits of 
of, of the whole, uh, optimally our whole food chain. And, you know, missions mean different things in different companies. Um, it, what I just described is something that influences the way we think about daily decisions in the company, big picture decisions and small ones. Uh, from our science to our, our commercial activities, and I'm sure we'll touch on a lot of those. But at a fundamental level, we think you really have to do all three of those. If you seek to improve sustainability without providing a means by which farmers can, you know, can have a, a more profitable business and have a higher value flow into their business and their communities, you, you know, you don't get to influence the the opportunity in a scalable way and, and same for consumer health. And so what we're, what we're passionate and, and driven to do is, is dedicate our, our science and, and, uh, and our business to, to trying to do all three of those things. And Jeff, that's what seems so interesting about the Indigo model. For our listeners who haven't heard of you, you guys are a biosciences company. You're also a grain merchandiser buying and selling a, a non-GM or, or, uh, I should say, an ID-preserved product to those growers. So as we get into this a little bit, let's talk the science side of it first. What aspects does Indigo work on to help change the biology in a farmer's field? The, the essence of Indigo's science is focused on the plant microbiome. Uh, it, it simply put, a microbiome is a community of microbes that live in the same place. You know, microbiomes are everywhere. In fact, microbes have been on this, this, this world for billions of years and, um, as part of that have figured out how to be able to live on the surface of almost, almost anything you can imagine. Uh, and it turns out that plants have microbes that live inside of them. Now, it, we've known that for a long time, for, for over a hundred years, uh, we've known that, that legumes, soy have nitrogen fixing microbes in their roots. But really only over the past 10 years has it come to light that uh, it appears that every plant has microbes living inside of them, i.e. every blade of grass in your lawn has microbes living inside of them, every stalk of corn in the world, every leaf on every tree in a rainforest, and, and on and on. And that insight has, has really served as the, the foundation of indigo science. Our our approach is to, to tap into these these really special and rare microbes that plants, particularly agricultural crops, have, have chosen to invite into this this remarkable relationship where those microbes get to live inside of the plants and, and as a part of that, uh, benefit the health of those plants across an extraordinary range of stresses that uh, that can compromise the, the yield and performance of agricultural crops. And I'm not a scientist, Jeffrey, so I've got to take this really slow, kind of baby steps here for me. If these plants all have microbes living within them, at Indigo, with the seed treatment, are you guys making sure these microbes are fed? Are you adding more microbes into the microbiome? Well, how does that process work? Well, let me first zoom out and, and compare what Indigo does to what's been done for a long time in, in in the world of microbes and ag. So for the most part, the, the attempts to benefit uh, yield and performance of crops with microbes is focused on microbes that live in soil. The advantage of that is there's lots of microbes in soil. That's also the disadvantage, which is that there's 
trillions of microbes in uh, in a, a teaspoon of soil. Those can vary wildly across a farmer's uh, across a single farmer's uh, uh, land and uh, and across the hundreds of millions of acres of, of agricultural land in, in in the U.S. And only a rare subset of those microbes really deeply interact with the crop in a way that can uh, substantially improve the performance of, of crops. So what has differentiated indigo is uh, it, this fairly simple insight that agricultural crops have actually already done the discovery for us. For hundreds of millions of years, plants have been very carefully selecting microbes from the soil around them and inviting a rare subset of those to live inside of the plant itself. And uh, and those microbes have the most intimate and uh, at the beginning we hypothesized maybe the most beneficial relationship with crops. And to your question of, of, of what then does indigo do, our products are a microbiome coating on the surface of seeds, typically with one microbe. So we borrow a, a special microbe from those internal communities of a healthy crop. And I can describe more about how we discover those. Uh, but that microbe is able to then uh, partner with those seeds and the resulting seedlings and uh, and growing plant in a way that improves its ability to withstand important agricultural stresses. Our first product focused on microbes that remarkably have an ability to, to dramatically improve a plant's performance under drought stress and water stress. And we've now expanded that portfolio into a variety of abiotic stresses and biotic stresses. And simplistically, uh, the microbes that live inside of plants are, are motivated to help the plant in any way they can. <clears throat> you know, if you if you think about the plant as the microbe's home, that's a pretty cool home. <laughs> you know, if you, we think a lot about an example of a plant living in a desert. And, you know, from a microbe's perspective, if you could live inside of a plant, then, gosh, you're kept hydrated. You get sugar from the plant, amino acids from the plant, and other nutrients. And anything that might compromise the health of that plant, you, you are motivated, so to speak, to uh, to help defend against. And so that means, in the desert example, water stress, heat stress, UV irradiation. But uh, if you zoom out to the whole world of plants and microbes and crops and, and microbes, um, we believe that there are solutions for every important agricultural stress just waiting to be discovered within the internal plant microbiome. And and that perspective guides a a lot of the science that we do. And Jeff, I'm curious now, so this microbial treatment, what category does it fall under? Is it genetic engineering or, you know, there's this new term of genetic engineering for, you know, CRISPR has been a big topic that's been out. So I'm, I'm curious as to what area does this microbial treatment fall under? A great question. So we don't do any genetic engineering, any gene editing, and so nothing that indigo does would fall into those categories. That's an important distinction, we think. Um, rather, the, the microbes that we discover are natural microbes discovered from a process that goes out in the farmer's field that we've partnered with and seeks to find the healthiest plants. Uh, uh, under conditions of stress. So as, as you all know, and as any farmer could relate to, even in the worst drought, 
there's a subset of plants in the field where it's not obvious why those plants are still doing pretty well. And the difference between the highest performing plant under stress and the lowest performing plant under stress isn't a couple percent. I mean, it, it can be fold differences or the difference between zero yield and, uh, and significant yield. And our discovery process starts with saying, wow, maybe nature's figured something out inside of those, those survivor plants. And maybe it's the microbiome. So we sample from those extraordinary plants, uh, in farmers' fields and bring those into our lab and, uh, and then have data tools and discovery approaches that allow us to to sift through the microbes that uh, that live inside of such plants to find the the natural microbes that we can coat onto the surface of uh, of agricultural seeds and which remarkably are able to provide that kind of benefit to uh, to additional cultivars and sometimes even to, to multiple crops but none of that is genetic engineering uh, none of indigo's products are classified as as GMO or would uh, would be in the, the nascent arena of uh, gene editing classifications. And in principle, our products are applicable to organic registration, and we've gone through that process for, for a couple of our lead programs. And I think that is a great segue to our next topic. Now, for listeners, uh, we've been talking, you've heard us call our interviewee here Jeff, but that's not entirely accurate. He's actually actually Dr. Von Maltz, and you can tell as we talk about the science stuff, you've got that analytical mindset. Now, I want to jump to something that I find fascinating, which is money. How are you going to get farmers a premium? How do we make this sustainability pay? Because that is an interesting aspect there at Indigo. All right. Well, let me clarify. If, if any of you has an illness, I would not be the right person to go to. I'm, I'm a scientist, and so... I, too, would seek the help of, uh, in quotes, a real doctor. But you're right. You know, science science doesn't make a difference unless it changes farmers' profitability. And as a business, it, you know, in agriculture, you have to think you have to think really carefully about how how do you best create a means of benefiting farmers and, uh, you know, and then and then enabling your own business to do that at a larger and larger scale. And so since we commercialized our, our first product in 2016, we've spent a lot of time thinking about that. And, and going back to our mission, if you want to at scale change agriculture, which is both a, an imperative and, and a big opportunity to do so right now, you really have to start with a thesis that uh, uh, that improves farmer profitability. And a couple of things were remarkable as we started to, uh, to go down the process of commercialization. One was that... Um, if you look over the past 30 plus years, the bottom line of most farmers in the U.S. hasn't changed a whole lot, despite a lot of technology change and and overall agricultural methods improving a lot. And we came to the conclusion that part of that is that the motives of input providers have been at odds with the the motives of farmers. I.e., you know, an input provider is arguably most successful if they can extract all the value that their technology provides. We were in a position where we'd spent all our money on science, none of it on marketing, and the makeup of our company are people who are motivated by trying to benefit farmers. And uh, and we had wanted to try to find a solution that would uh, would prevent us from feeling like we were in the same situation. So, so that's observation one. <clears throat> the second is the traditional R&D methods in agriculture, 
uh, rely on small plot field trials. And so we, we do those at Indigo as well. And uh, as we started to introduce farmers to our small plot field trial data, none of them believed it. And it, it wasn't unique to us, although at first we, we, we felt like they, they were questioning our, uh, our, our ability to design scientific experiments. But rather, they've seen small plot data every single year that has not translated onto to similar success on their farms. And we realized that there's a real data challenge to be able to run definitive experiments on farms in a way where farmers can ex- try technologies at low or no risk and then uh, generate a clear result of the benefit of that technology. And so if you could create a business model that placed your success in alignment with farmers' success, and if you could provide tools through which you could better conduct experiments on farms and in the hands of customers, we, we felt like you might be able to um, create a unique business that, that was really positioned to use science to improve sustainability, consumer health, and yields, and use business models to uh, to partner with farmers. So, so that's a lot of philosophy. Let me let me let me describe some of the some of the specifics. So our our commercial model has uh, two primary components to it. Um, one is that that we do sell treated seeds. So if if farmers are interested in our technology uh, across the, the crops that we're active in, we we are uh, we have a seed business that we sell direct to farmers with. The one that you reference is uh, is the one that's guided by that philosophy of creating partnerships with farmers, where where we are aligning our interests with uh, with their success. And in that uh, model, which we call our production model, we commit with farmers to purchase their crop at a premium price. So right now we're 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 doing this in, in winter wheat for uh, uh, for the the upcoming planting season. So so we are committing to farmers that we will purchase their 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 crop when harvested at a premium and help them with crop marketing and logistics to ensure that that, that premium or more is uh, is achieved. And we additionally provide them with our microbiome coated seeds, which offer yield improvement, particularly under conditions of, 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 uh, of stress, and an indigo agronomist or indigo certified agronomist who can help provide guidance on, on every decision that they're making during the season. We've created relationships like these now across uh, hundreds of thousands of acres, and, and it's, it's opened our minds to a number of ways that we can additionally improve the bottom line of farmers and uh, uh, and the profitability of farming. And many of those flow through the advice of the agronomist and the potential for other technology companies that, that are small startups focused you know, on spending their money on, on science or technology and who don't have large sales, sales teams or marketing investments. We've started to partner with such startups so that their innovations as well can, can flow into Indigo's production model and, and provide a benefit to benefit to the decisions that farmers make and to uh, the overall profitability, sustainability of uh, of, of the farms that uh, that Indigo is working with. And Jeff, right before we let you go, can you explain on what the future of Indigo Egg is going to look like, or can you hit on maybe some of the steps that your company is looking at going down to keep improving plants, genetics, and all of that combined? Uh, absolutely. So 
the the only thing I would tweak is that we, we aren't focused on plant genetics, but we are focused on continually improving our offering to farmers. So so I'll, I'll highlight a couple components of that. One is um, the performance of Indigo's products, we are committed to improving every single year. And so as opposed to launching a product, branding it, and then having it almost not change for, for maybe a decade, <laughs> as farmers are used to do with many, many products, the, the timeline of Indigo's discovery allows us to improve our offerings literally every year. And uh, in the two crops where we have multiple years of commercial experience, uh, we've achieved that. So in our, in our first season in, uh, in cotton, we averaged an 11% uh, yield improvement. Uh, most recently, we, uh, uh, in, last, in this year's harvest, had a 14% yield improvement. And we similarly were able to improve our wheat yields um, this year over the year prior. And, and that's just the beginning. We're, we're really, we feel like we're at the base camp one of Mount Everest with respect to what the microbiome can offer to, to farmers. And, uh, and thus next year's, next year's performance, we're committed to outperforming what we've seen thus far. And, and if we can keep doing that, the, the benefits to farmers can, can really be uh, magnificent. Um, the second is that the, the future of Indigo really is about maximizing our opportunity to, um, uh, to affect the Indigo mission of improve farmer profitability, improve environmental sustainability of, of agriculture, and improve consumer consumer health of, of the resulting products. And uh, and every day we're trying to think about how can we do that in in, in a bigger way. And so our, our farmers should should expect from us continued and, and and constant creativity on how we can do that better, how we can allow more profit, more value to flow into their farms. And uh, and we think we're just at the beginning of, of the, the way we think about that from both a science perspective and also from a business model perspective. So expect expect us to be making science and technology announcements and uh, and creative new business announcements on a regular basis as uh, as as the years go by. And Jeff, you said something that really caught my attention there. Shifting the balance of power from a grower's perspective, that is huge. How do you retain more of that margin on your operation? If we've got growers who are listening and they're curious, they want to get some more information, tell us where can they go to learn more about Indigo or the production contract specifically. So please come to our website at indigoag.com and and we'd be eager to, to have conversations about everything that we're doing. And we'd be honored to be partnering with anybody that's interested. Jeffrey Von Maltzen, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us and for uh, filling us in on, on what opportunities exist out there for growers willing to think outside the box a little bit. We really appreciate it. Thank you all so much and have a wonderful day. Thank you, Jeff, for that detailed explanation on Indigo Egg. And Mike, you know, it's always really cool to learn about these new technologies that are hitting the market and how they're going to make the agriculture industry better for the future. What do you think? I, I absolutely agree. And I think from a grower's perspective, it's worth exploring anything that's going to pay a premium in a down market. And if Indigo offers an option that works for you, Heck, collect that extra 20 cents, 10 cents, 30 cents, whatever whatever the premium would be. It's better than, you know, just getting the market price. That's right. Well, Mike, if our listeners want to get a hold of us or learn more or even catch up on past podcasts, where can they go for more information? Well, hopefully they have subscribed to our podcast on Google Play, the Apple iTunes 
store, whatever the heck they call that thing, and on Stitcher. But they can always find us on Facebook and on Twitter at Ag News Daily or visit the website at agnewsdaily.com. And with that, Hannah, should we let everybody go? Let's let them go.